0: This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash register.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, May 10th. Earlier this year, the Biden administration unveiled its $2 trillion plan to rebuild and revitalize America's aging infrastructure. Among the key points in the plan were recommendations to not only rebuild American roads and bridges, but also recommendations designed to revitalize the country's digital infrastructure. Specifically, ideas like nationwide broadband and a faster, cleaner, more resilient electric transmission system. Like a number of recommendations in the administration's infrastructure plan, investment in digital infrastructure has a direct impact on the automotive industry. The better the connectivity, the better autonomous vehicles transporting people and goods can navigate crowded urban centers. The better the transmission of energy, the better the ability to quickly charge electric vehicles. And the better the ability to capture, aggregate, and analyze data coming off of connected bridges, roads... Buildings, light posts, consumers, and cars, the better the ability to manage things like traffic flow and urban planning and public transportation. Sounds like what some might refer to as a smart city. We thought so too. With President Biden's infrastructure plan the topic of much discussion and debate among policymakers, we thought it would be a good time to do a daily drive rewind and visit my September 2020 discussion with Kent Larson, who leads the city science group at the MIT Media Lab. Kent and the team at the City Science Group are using technologies like artificial intelligence and blockchain to help city planners tackle some hard challenges. And they are also building next-gen vehicles, like a three-wheeled bike-like autonomous vehicle designed to help solve mobility challenges in urban environments all visions of a future of mobility that perhaps become a little closer to reality with the help of the Biden administration's proposed infrastructure investments. Enjoy this Daily Drive Rewind with Kent Larson, director of the City Science Research Group at the MIT Media Lab. Hi, Kent. Thanks for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you?
2: I'm great. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So
1: why don't you start with telling us a little bit about the City Science Group at the MIT Media Lab?
2: Yeah, we think of our work as being multidisciplinary. Sometimes we call it anti-disciplinary, which is to say we, we, we think we need to actively break down the walls between siloed disciplines. And so we have researchers from many different fields, computer science, engineering, architecture, urban design, mathematics, industrial design. And I think it's this combination of diverse skills and interests that allows us to do the kind of work that that we do. And we think of our mission as uh, falling into four mi- main areas. One uh, I, I often call urban programming. It's different than urban design, urban planning. And in here, we're exploring this vision of the city as a network of resilient, entrepreneurial high performance vibrant communities so it's a network of communities kind of a mesh network and to, to do this we have to we have to be skilled at data analytics and the modeling and simulation of the interventions the tools that can engage with the stakeholders in a new process so that's one two we're we're working on mobility we think of it as mobility on demand transitioning from auto centric development to much lighter community scale modes three we're exploring new ways of living and working using architectural robotics and thinking about how to encourage creative interactions that work of course is a little different in the midst of a pandemic uh, and then and then lastly we we do a lot of work you know, with, that we think of as spatial intelligence so that's how to understand and respond to complex human behavior at the scale of the city, the community, the home, the workplace, et cetera.
1: I think two of those pillars that you described are very relevant and very interesting to the subscribers and listeners of automotive news and the daily drive podcast mobility on demand being one what's the focus of the research and and how is the team going about that effort what are you learning in particular can you can you tell us a little bit about the pev which i think is a unique and wildly interesting vehicle
2: yeah so i I mean we've been working in the the field of mobility for about 10 years. We we started the main, the first like major project we did in this area, we called the city car, which was uh, a two seater urban vehicle that had four innovations. It, it uh, had robot wheels. So each wheel had drive motor, steering, suspension, et cetera one, it, it, it was drive-by-wire like a modern airline, no mechanical linkages between steering and controls, etc. cetera. Uh, it folded, so when the car was parked, the length was the width of a conventional car, so you could get three of these in a parallel parking space, and lastly, it had front egress. You could step directly out. When we finished that vehicle, and we had offers of commercialization, I decided that that wasn't really the future that we needed to work on much lighter modes for the city community scale modes. And the future was also autonomous vehicles. So uh, you actually, if you think about it, you, you, you don't need to fold a vehicle to occupy very little space if it's autonomous because it's never parked in a high value area of the city. You can store it when it's not being used in other parts of the city. So we shifted to, what we call the PEV, which is persuasive electric vehicle. The idea was that it would persuade you to use a much lighter, more efficient mobility mode. It also would persuade you to get physical exercise. So it's a three-wheel autonomous vehicle that comes to you like an Uber when you call it. But when the human is in the vehicle, they're under control and they drive it like like a, like a three wheel bicycle, it's an electric assist bicycle, and then all the autonomy technology can be used for safety and active assistance. But when you get to your destination, you release it into autonomy mode. It goes on its way to pick up other people, uh, and to be to rebalance and to preposition for the next for the next rider. And we've also explored a hybrid version of people and Package movement that uh, so that at off-peak these excess vehicles can deliver packages as a land drone. We've we've built a whole series of different versions of it. The one that we have now is actually pretty sophisticated, and we had it uh, fabricated at a at a uh, shop in uh, Nichinan in in Japan. Uh, our funding came from. Uh, Japanese uh, auto supplier uh, Denso, primarily. Uh, but now we're we're shifting to thinking about the other end of the spectrum. How can we how could we make a thousand dollar PEV, an ultra low cost autonomous vehicle for the city that was that was uh, shared use, not privately owned. And and so we're just entering in this ne- entering this next phase of our exploration.
1: I have to believe a model like that in terms of democratizing the ability for city dwellers, regardless of economic situation right it really a model like that really creates opportunity to service an entire city entire societies in a more balanced and an equal way. removing this this barrier i think that many find in terms of they they simply can't afford to get in an uber or they have to choose their their path of of transportation simply by what their their budgets will will allow
2: yeah well i you know i think it's 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 we'll look back in 10 or 15 years on what is common today which is to Put a single person in a 4,000 pound vehicle that's capable of going 150 miles an hour to carry someone one or two miles across the city at the average speed in many cities, which is 12 miles an hour. I mean, it just absolutely makes no sense. Yeah. So we, and, and but, but I think you can't separate this concept of mobility systems from public policy and urban design, in, 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 in a, and I'll give you an example of why that's important. If you could, like I said, have a, the city evolve into a network of these compact um, communities where everyone who works in that community has an opportunity to live there, and you have walkable or bicy- bicycling access to everything you need in daily life. So schools and shopping and and recreation and museums and healthcare et cetera et cetera, then that dramatically reduces the need for heavier mechanized modes, cars and mass transit, and privileges walking and biking, and and light modes, scooters et cetera, but but also light modes like the PEV. Now one one thing that we we. Uh, that motivated us to develop the PEV is bike sharing is very popular, but the demographic profile of those people who use bike sharing systems are relatively narrow, tend to be younger people, more men than women, et cetera. And, and if you look at the reasons why people don't use these systems is they're concerned about things like safety or if it's raining, they're not, they're not protected. Uh, Maybe they're going to a meeting and they don't want to, they don't want to, you know, get all sweaty while they, you know, when they're riding a bike, et cetera. So we we designed a bike-like autonomous vehicle that addressed many of these, of these concerns with the idea that you could in, you could increase the range of people, the demographic profiles of people who would use these lightweight systems, and because they're much less expensive than a car, they don't have a driver they um, use very little energy, then at scale the cost could be very low and just as you suggest could be uh, a much more equitable mobility system.
1: And would you agree that this becomes then an important stepping stone to – Know, these autonomous, massive or larger vehicles, I wouldn't say massive, but larger vehicles that do, you know, mm-hmm. operate outside the city, right? Everything from a consumer trust perspective yeah. and the safety, et cetera, et cetera, but also the learnings from the technology and the, you know, cost uh, benefits that come when scaling these type of technologies.
2: Well, exactly right. And, and, uh, and of course, there if, if you talk to people who really understand autonomous vehicles, uh, think about autom- autonomous cars. If they're privately owned, they have to go everywhere in all driving conditions, right? And they, they operate on a highway, they're heavy, and they're, they can be dangerous, et cetera. But if you think of it as a shared system, oh, by the way, and, and they think of this valley of death, right? So it's fine if you have autonomous technology that assists the human. And then it would work fine if we get all the way to full autonomy where the human's not involved and they're, they're proven to be safe, but there's this valley of death in between where the humans, you know, are they in control? Maybe they're not in control. You know, it it just is a very, very tricky thing to do. And technically it's incredibly challenging. So I do believe now that full autonomy is further into the future than actually I thought a couple of years ago, but if you can develop a, shared lightweight autonomous system that only operates autonomously when it is repositioning the vehicle or picking up someone, then uh, first of all, it's lightweight, it's not going to do much damage if there's a, a collision. It, it, when it's moving through the city, it operates at very low speed, so that makes it much safer. We are constraining these vehicles because they're very narrow, they're the width of the bicycle, to bike lanes, so it's not inter- they're not interacting with heavy vehicles on the street, and and also you can you can at least initially deploy them on fixed routes like bike lanes, right? Mm-hmm. And since it's shared use, if if you have icy stormy conditions, you just say we you know the service is not available today. So I do think these kinds of the systems could be deployed m- m- much earlier. You know, probably many years earlier, than fully autonomous, heavy vehicles that have to operate in all conditions.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: We'll be right back with more.
0: Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem, loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds and Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash register.
1: The other... Research platform I want to talk about and, and, you know, the symbiotic relationship that has always been between cities and transportation is CityScope. You all are using AI and AR and and capturing and aggregating data, visualizing data, traffic flow, temperature, even where money is being spent and invested in the CityScope platform. Can you share a little bit more about what that is? Um, I, you know, personally, I think it's some of the coolest stuff that I've seen. Uh, I, I'd love for you to share a little bit about, about what's going on with the CityScope project and what you know, answers I think you're trying to find by aggregating and bringing and visualizing this data.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, that's of course, that's really important to have a platform where you can you can visualize data, understand new patterns, gain insight into how the city functions now. Data visualization alone really gets you nothing but insight, right? It doesn't actually improve the conditions. So then you have to identify the interventions that will make lives, uh, you know, richer and, and you know, and, and increase the social performance and the environmental performance and all that. So that's modeling the potential impact of these interventions using simulation. You can do that on a workstation. The real challenge we found is not having the vision of the future or that's important, but that alone is not going to get you very far. You need to also have the systems that are deployed in the city, but you know, those two together don't get you very far unless you can engage with the three key key stakeholders that that need to come together to make decisions and adopt innovation. That's the community, investors and government. So we're looking at uh, different versions of our platform that, first of all, can engage with the community, help them collectively arrive at a shared vision of their future to model different scenarios, get impact, uh, uh, understand the impact, positive and negative, of these things that are proposed. We're looking at new types of ESG, environmental social governance metrics of the investment community is adopting and bringing those into the platform so you can engage with the investors that that invest in in these systems, and also really critically in the government, you know, so to expedite the adoption and the approvals needed if it's a real estate project or an infrastructure project. So think about the Sidewalk Labs project in Toronto that uh, was canceled a few months ago. They had great ideas, great vision in my opinion. They had a lot of good systems they were proposing. They never found an effective way to build trust in the community, to demonstrate the value to the community, and to engage with the government to expedite all the approvals that are needed. And so the two go hand in hand. So the mobility on demand PV, those are examples of the systems that we're developing. But in my opinion, even more critical are the platforms that allow you to engage with the stakeholders so you can enable, facilitate the adoption and acceptance of innovation.
1: You'd mentioned Denso earlier as a as a partner, you know, yep. on a tier tier one automotive supplier, uh, global scale. Mm-hmm. What what kind of support and interest and engagement are you getting from traditional automakers, Denso, other suppliers, OEMs? How are they, you know, helping, participating, uh, engaging the work that you all are doing at the at the uh, MIT Media Lab? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you I'll tell you a funny funny story. I, I did a workshop with a I won't mention the company, but they all kind of have the same attitude nowadays. Um, but it was a group uh, leadership. They, they were the, the leaders of the various divisions of this big auto company. And I walked into the room and I just rolled the dice. I said, well, I don't know what you guys want to talk about, but I'd love to talk about how to get rid of cars in cities. And to my surprise and pleasure, they said, that's Great. That's exactly the kind of thing we'd like to talk about, because our future is not being an auto company. Those are you know, automobiles are just you know low margin commodities. We want to be a mobility service provider, and we want to understand you know what the future is. And, uh, and every time I talk to a company, where's Daimler or Toyota or even Nehendra and and Tata, uh, that's, that's what, for the most part, they say. We're looking at evolving from a commodity to a service company. And so I think that's a lot of what motivated Denso's involvement because this PEV that we work with on, on them on, it wasn't to be sold in the private market. It's a new type of service using a new type of vehicle. We're just finishing a project with Ford where, which had nothing to do with new mobility. It was all about using a, developing the modeling and simulation of all of this innovation from planned use to mobility systems uh, for the new, their their new Corktown, you know, headquarters project in Detroit. Uh, so I, you know, I found, I, I find that uh, the leadership in these in these auto companies are actually quite innovative Um, you know many there are groups in all these companies that are not they're they you know they're they're kind of stuck in the old ways but for the most part at least the people that that I deal with is kind of a self-selected group that ends up coming to us at the media lab I'm surprised at how forward-thinking they are so I've enjoyed our interactions with the car companies.
1: I think that's going to be music to our ears to many of our listeners. Um, time for one more question just to close. So you sure. all are clearly working on a mission to solve some complex societal problems. You know, whether it's three, five, 10, 15 years from now. You know, I, you know, the horizon. I think we can all agree is still out. But when you look um, at the at the journey to get there, what are the biggest barriers? What are the biggest challenges that concern you? That might delay. Uh, these solutions, this mission.
2: Well, I'd go back to the Sidewalk Labs experience, that, uh, but but you could also point to the experience that uh, Uber, for example, had you know hitting a wall when they would try to expand into certain cities. I think that I think that industry is doing a pretty good job of developing innovative systems. I'm not worried about the innovation, that, you know, that comes out of places like MIT or or comes out of, uh, you know, companies, R&D groups. You know, there's lots and lots of innovation out there. I think the real challenge is finding a new way for industry, if we're talking about cities, industry to work with governments so that it's a win-win. The companies can make a profit and deploy innovation, but but the governments and the communities that they serve Need to understand what's in it for them, and and what what is what is not just return on investment for the companies, but what is the return to the community if these systems are deployed, uh, and I, I I think we haven't figured out a great way to do that. So I point back to what I was talking about with with our CityScope project. I think the the real barrier is a lack. Uh, a, a lack of trust that these companies are going to come in and and deploy systems that are actually good for the community. I think the companies want to do that, uh, but and governments haven't figured out how to set the rules of the game. So everybody's playing by the same rules and establish what the priorities are. I think for me, that's the, that's the next big challenge.
1: Kent, thank you for joining me on Daily Drive. Fascinating conversation, fascinating work you and your team are doing. I think our listeners are going to enjoy this story very much. Thanks again.
2: Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Have a a great day. That's
1: Daily Drive for Monday, May 10th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on more episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.